Welcome to the Employee Onboarding Podcast, the only place to learn from the world's leading people operators on how to craft a magical onboarding experience. This podcast is brought to you by Process Street, the AI-powered platform that revolutionizes how HR teams design, manage, and automate their most vital processes, craft memorable employee experiences, cultivate company culture, and significantly reduce turnover with Process Street. Sign up for a free account at www.process.st. Join thousands of iconic people teams in companies like Salesforce, MIT, and Accenture that trust Process Street for all their people processes. Welcome to the Employee Onboarding Podcast, where we are unpacking great onboarding ideas and best practices from the world's top HR practitioners and thought leaders. At Process Street, that starts with our mission to make recurring work fun, fast, and faultless for teams everywhere. My name is Erin Rice, and I'm the People and Operations Coordinator here at Process Street. Today, I'm joined by Lee Alina Henderson. Lee has over 20 years of experience in the corporate America, supporting a handful of Fortune 100 companies as an HR executive. Today, Lee devotes her time to social media, content creation, brand promotion, writing, and helping companies, quote unquote, not suck through their HR experience. Lee is also the founder and CEO of HR Manifesto, LLC. For those of you who might not know, the HR Manifesto was born on TikTok June 2021 as a creative outlet for Lee to test content while she pins her No BS Toxic Workplace Survival Guide. Focused on sharing tragic work realities and approachable coaching through inspired storytelling, the goal of HR Manifesto is to unify followers around the shared human experience of work and help others maximize their professional success. Today, the HR Manifesto TikTok has over 640,000 followers. Wow, Lee, a real-life HR influencer. We are so excited to have you today. Yeah, well, thank you, Erin, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So before we dive in, I came across this silly icebreaker I'd love to hear your thoughts on. So do you separate your laundry by color? Uh, Well, I do, but begrudgingly, right? Like how many things do I have to ruin uh, before I learn my lesson? You know what I mean? So I was an all-in sort of person to save time, uh, but now I do the separation. I absolutely do. Because your whites just don't that all my whites are pink at this point, you know what I mean? So I learned that finally, learned my lesson. (laughs) Yeah, completely understand that. I have three kids, so uh, I used to not go through their pockets. Big mistake. (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly, exactly. (laughs) Awesome. So now what we really came here for, employee onboarding. Can you start by telling us a little bit about your background and how you ended up where you are today? Sure. Yeah. So as you mentioned, you know, I'm nearly a 20 year HR professional. Uh, I've worked for a handful of Fortune 100 companies. I've only ever done HR, but believe it or not, I actually started university pre-med wanting to go into psychiatry. Right. Uh, And then I learned about industrial organizational psychology, the behavior of people and organizations, fell in love with that and went to business school. And uh, I absolutely love being that strategic HR resource and organizations that is tasked to just unravel all of that organizational corporate spaghetti. Uh, So that's truly how I see my role in an organization doing HR client support is really just helping everybody, especially, you know, my, my clients, my primary clients just be successful at work. 
Great. So I'm sure in all of your experience, you've had some really amazing onboarding onboarding experiences and then likely some not so amazing onboarding. I'd love to hear a little bit of the both. Yeah, yeah. No, I've definitely had those experiences where, uh, like you said, amazing and positive. They remember that I was coming that day. So that was nice, right? Uh, you know, I've had the awesome uh, experience where in the onboarding process, like the day one, you get you get your photo done. Like, how nice is that? So that you can populate all your headshots online in the systems. You know, I've had the the flowers on my desk. I've had the welcome lunch with the team, right? I mean, just really awesome uh, first day and onboarding experience. Everything was working seamlessly from a, a systems perspective. The computer was there day one. Uh, and then I've had the exact opposite where I showed up and it was like, who are you? Could you imagine? Like, who are you, and, and where? Wh- why are you here, and what are you doing? And it's like, uh, I'm so and so, right? Uh, I've had the experience where you don't get the computer or even systems access for three weeks, four weeks, right? And you're just kind of sitting there, just you know, what am I? What am I here for, right? I mean, definitely those horrific experiences where you just have no sense of belonging or connectivity to the organization, really from the jump, uh, which is a shame because, you know, there's all sorts, of, all sorts of research out there that says people make the decision whether they're going to stay in an organization in the first week, right? And, and there may be some things where it's like the, the first day even, you know, but I think the aggregate of research I've seen, it's like within the first five to seven days, people are deciding whether this is truly a fit. So uh, that just goes to show the tremendous impact that onboarding has uh, to a career, right? It's very, very personal. Yeah, absolutely. So what would you say are the priorities in that first week to make sure those new hires are making that decision to stay? Yeah, I mean, the priority is is really uh, connectivity, uh, first and foremost to me, right? Uh, and so how do we achieve that? Uh, it's really through humanizing the onboarding process. Uh, I think sometimes we get caught in, you know, just checking our own boxes, whether we're talking talent acquisition or a hiring manager or the HR organization, just in general, uh, a leadership team in general, right? We get so caught up in just kind of ticking the boxes, right? Like, okay, this person showing up, check. Okay, the computer's on its way, check, right? But how do we really ingratiate people into the team, right? How can we humanize the process of onboarding uh, beyond doing all the systems things correctly and well and, and all of that and, and making sure the things are there, how can we humanize the, the process to where the person, the actual human being that's going to be starting in this team feels a connection to the team, right? And that and that's really what that research is getting at, that, hey, human beings want to feel a sense of belongingness. They want to know that they can be successful somewhere because there's a team that's supportive that knows who they are, that took the time to show them where the bathrooms are, right? That that gives them the intel on, you know, so-and-so or, you know, the best parking spot in the parking lot, whatever the, whatever the case may be. Uh, you know, even introverts or extroverts alike, people want to know that they are cared for and at least that people care about them being successful.
successful. And so that's really the key to unlock. And now every culture is different. Uh, so every culture is going to have a different way of doing that. And so uh, my, I guess my kind of call to action or ask is just make sure you are doing something uh, that fits your organization when it comes to building relationships with those that you're onboarding, because it really makes a difference that first week, especially for their entire career and relationship with the organization. Absolutely. And so the HR team or the hiring manager, they're doing all these things to make sure that that person feels welcomed. What tips would you give to that person then to really hit the ground running and make sure that they're prepped to accept that and also to contribute? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that I coach uh, folks on is that I, I remind people that the power is really with the talent. So the employee, we have we have uh, a lot of power uh, in our positions and organizations. Sometimes we don't feel like that, right? Because things may be toxic, or we may be getting gaslighted, or whatever, right? Uh, but we really do have a lot of power. And what I mean by that is that we really do own our career. We do choose day in and day out where we spend our time and who we spend it with and where we spend it, right? So if something's not serving you, absolutely take the power and ownership to pivot and do something else that can suit you better or, or, or bring you joy. And the same is true with when you're starting a job. Uh, I think that, you know, some of my best practices and things I do myself is that I have lots of get to knows. That's what I call them. I have lots of introductory meetings with with anyone and everyone, top, down, around, you name it, kind of like this 360 of intros, because the currency in most organizations are the relationships, right? The network and who you know. So absolutely lean into that and don't shy away from meeting people. I mean, I'm I'm an introvert, you know, it, it's hard for me sometimes to put myself out there and, and take those first steps, but I just know the importance of building those relationships. And so you as a new person onboarding in an organization, take that challenge on, right? So when you have that first meeting with your manager or maybe a peer or someone even on your team, if you're the leader, ask them, who else should I meet? Right. Like who should I, who who's in your network or circle that you think it would benefit me, uh, you know, to have a conversation with and introduce myself. And then when you have those conversations, I highly, highly recommend that you talk about communication. Uh, you you ask the other person, how do you like being communicated to? And they'll be like, oh, wow, okay, like, here's all the ways I love being communicated to, or I don't like being communicated to. And that'll give you the opportunity to then share how you like to be communicated with and to, right? So it's a way for you to kind of help others get to know you and then control uh, kind of what's going to be coming to you and what may be coming to them, et cetera, right? So it really helps having these intro conversations, sharing some about yourself so people understand your balancing, you know, this hobby or this work family life with work or whatever, whatever your situation is, so that when something arises, right, maybe it's conflict, people won't have to make assumptions about you, right? They will know exactly, ah, oh, well, I remember Lee told me she has this hobby every Thursday. Maybe that's why she had to miss that meeting or whatever, right? You're just giving people information and getting them to know you uh, so that you can create connection and that people, you know, can, you know, they know what you're good at. They know how to engage with you, you name it. It's going to make it a smoother onboarding. 
Yeah. And it sounds like this would be good advice for any company, even when you're not onboarding, to continue those relationships long Absolutely. after. That, yeah. That's amazing. Absolutely. It's time for a quick intermission to appreciate our sponsor, Process Street. Want to build beautiful, engaging, and efficient employee onboarding processes? Looking to streamline your HR processes into wonderful AI-powered workflows? Look no further than Process Street. Just like Cargill, Colliers, and Hartford Healthcare, you too can trust Process Street with your key people processes. Visit www.process.st today. So we've talked a lot about onboarding and it sounds like more driven in like an in-person setting. How does that translate to more of a remote setting? I mean, I think that's an excellent question. And I think that that is a tough nut that a lot of organizations have not cracked, right? And I reflect on some of the organizations that I've worked for previous and that my peers have worked for and, you know, large organizations with hundreds of thousands of employees that were already doing a lot of remote work prior to the pandemic, right? So for for a lot of organizations, that's new like getting more into the remote space. But I reflect on, again, large organizations that have been doing this for decades and still uh, onboarding remote employees was not ever seamless for me in my past, you know, or or easy, right? And so I do see and hear about and, and receive so many horror stories from followers, uh, you know, that that's a really you know, I'd say new place again for the majority of, of, of organizations and, and just supporting remote employees on, on the daily, let alone onboarding, you know, so I feel as though there's a lot that can be done in this space that we aren't yet doing. But I think that this is definitely a space where organizations should invest time, resources, and monies into aligning remote onboarding and giving it the priority it needs, just like you would do an in-person onboarding. And where we see conflict and strife is the fact that a lot of onboarding efforts, they're not global or enterprise-wide or company-wide, they're localized, right? based on the geography, based on the state, based on the country, based on that one location, uh, because they organizations really do try to personalize. And that's where it gets so difficult with remote onboarding. You just don't have that luxury, luxury of localization. And that's typically the play and strategy organizations have taken with onboarding. So it puts you in a tough spot. You know, what I've heard and seen and, and read is that the majority of organizations don't have a strategy in this space yet. Yeah. And we're globally remote at Process Street. And our biggest challenge is like the stuff is like getting them <laughs> yeah. the computer and getting the swag and like getting them the, the physical tools that they need. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, country to country, shipping characters, just they don't talk as much. as they could. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. See, and that's just the administrative piece. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> even just that is difficult and then shipping delays and supply chain this and that com- that computer's out of stock and this is a, oh my gosh right uh and so we're not even talking systems yet just the right. admin of just yeah. giving something to somebody can be so difficult you know yep i'm crossing my fingers that ai will hopefully solve some of that lack of communication between uh, like the requirements of a specific country and how to get stuff through their postal service and that kind of thing that maybe AI will solve that problem for us. 
right? We can hope. Yeah. <laughs> it's not so, easy. <laughs> so what do you think um, is the future of AI with onboarding? Oh, gosh, you know, that's a great question. And I mean, it, those in the HR biz, right, we just talk about generally, like, how will AI really shift how we view work, right? How how we do the work. Uh, there's a lot of open questions here. And, you know, I, I hear dialogues about, you know, people utilizing, you know, different things just personally, you know, for their own efficiencies and whatnot. But I think that that's the key word is, is efficiency and automation. I mean, I don't think this is something that uh, we shy away from because I do hear uh, already kind of, you know, defensiveness in some organizations or, or people not embracing is probably a, a better way to say that this fear of change, right. Uh, but from an HR perspective, you know, I welcome kind of open arms, right, because there absolutely is this need uh, for automation and efficiency and enhanced productivity, uh, because, a lot of the jobs, if we were to break them down uh, from, I'd say, value add work versus administrative work for just for an example of just on the burden of admin, what we, we were just talking about from a shipping perspective, a large facet of our roles, some more than others, are so administrative, not automated, not efficient. And it's a bog on creativity. It's a bog on strategic progress, right? And so I welcome... I really do welcome AI and the gift that that brings, especially for a number of core functional roles and support roles, you know, indirect roles, you know, like HR and what that could really, really open up uh, for us just generally. Right. And, and definitely in the onboarding space. Um, so often we reinvent the wheels just constantly. Right. I mean, I know that's a that's also a process discipline question or, or opportunity. Right. Uh, challenge, however you want to phrase that. But uh, I do see that those organizations that are going to embrace, uh, you know, AI and, and and really, in my opinion, they're just embrace, embracing change. Uh, they're going to get there faster. They just flat out are. And so it, it's just it's wild to me, uh, all that I hear, you know, from my peers and others, uh, you know, their organizations blocking certain websites or, you know, going against certain, you know, initiatives, whatever, uh, where I'm just like, why would we not lean in uh, to, to AI here? Because it, it really does lean a lot of things out. And it doesn't threaten, my opinion, the majority of jobs, it actually unlocks more value in, in the vast majority of, of talent and opportunity in the workplace. So crossing fingers. <laughs> yeah. And, and to your point at the beginning, it allows us to add more humanization into our roles doing, you know, unlocking our potential as humans so that machines can keep doing what machines are supposed to do. And that's the boring automation stuff that humans yes. don't want to be doing anyway. Exactly. And, and that is so much of our day, right? If you were to do the beans in the box exercise and kind of go through all these things where you're like, gosh, if only I had, you know, a machine or an automated process or something, you know, uh, that could help here in my productivity and efficiency, I could then spend more time coaching, 
right? I could then spend more time, you know, with my colleagues ideating, right? Or innovating or whatever it is you do as a business. Uh, you get caught where you're back to back in meetings, trying to, trying to solve admin problems for the most part. And then it's like, when do you do the hard work now after hours? And then you get burnt out and then people, you know, leave the organization, you know, it's like, it's a bad, it's a bad cycle. People get burnt out on the admin pieces, the things that aren't process driven, automated, doesn't, don't have AI, etc. you know, versus really the, the value added work where they're making an impact and they then feel joy, they feel success, etc. Right. So that really can have a huge effect on just attrition. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think a lot about uh, machines do one plus one equals two. They do that all day. No problems. Uh, humans can do one plus one equals four or eight or 12. And like when you break it down That's into true. that like super elementary equation, it like starts to make sense. Oh, yeah, let's yeah. let machines do one plus one equals two. So the rest of us can, you know, be exponentially right. greater than we were yesterday. Right. I didn't even bring up cost of quality. I mean, that's, that's a huge one there. You know, I mean, just that piece alone. I mean, yeah, you know, so yeah, no, great point. Yeah, so I have true. a I have a 13 year old uh, who is uh, exploring AI at school. And so we're having like a lot of really high level um, ethics conversations at home and like where things start and stop. And so it's really had me like take a step back and think about how I think about it both as a human, but also as a worker, um, but right. then helping, you know, some of that make more sense in like the simplest form. Um, but yeah, it's so interesting. I could talk about AI all day, right? Um, but we're really <laughs> here for onboarding. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit, you shared about uh, this guide that you're working on, this no BS toxic workplace guide. I'd love to hear how you could vet new people before they come on board and ensure that they're going to add positive energy into your workplace to avoid that that toxic environment? Yeah. Um, so what you're referencing is my workplace survival guide. Uh, and that's actually the impetus to HR Manifesto, right? Is that I started writing this book and it's the book that every single HR professional on the planet says they're going to write because we always just see the best and the worst in the workplace. And it's always juicy regardless of what spectrum, where it falls on the spectrum, you know? So we always say we're going to write this book. And I'm probably now like 15,000 words into it. It's a passion project. You know, but that's what really started HR Manifesto was was I wanted a place to, to test the content, right? As you read in my in my bio there, and so that's really what HR Manifesto is is about. It's 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 typically me acting and showing folks, you know, what not to tolerate if I'm pretending to be a bad boss, right? Or you know what not to say if I'm pretending to be a toxic uh, worker. Uh, but when it comes to identifying talent, you know, that fits into your organization, uh, you know, for me, I truly believe that if someone gets to an interview stage, uh, they should be. Uh, I, I make it the assumption that they are qualified to do that job, right? They meet the basic requirements and qualifications of that position, and anyone can do that position, right? The importance of the candidate experience and the hiring process, the interviewing process is to basically figure out fit. Fit means so much in an organization, and it means something different 
depending on the organization, just as toxic means something different depending on the organization, right? It's a very subjective sort of thing and personal sort of experience. And so when it comes to trying to figure out fit in the organization, it is absolutely important to have diversity in that process. That's my opinion. You need to have other people, uh, not just you as a hiring manager, uh, have interviews with that individual. You really do need a diverse hiring panel. And I know that that sounds, well, like, duh, except that the majority of organizations don't do that, right? Uh, most of most jobs are, are gotten, right, whatever the right term is, are achieved uh, because of networking, like 90 plus percent. So you as a hiring manager may have gotten a referral on somebody and you're like, oh, that person's great and I met them, we're good to go. Well, they're maybe good to go because you trust that referral, but it's really imperative that you have somebody outside your department, that's diversity, have somebody, you know, at a higher level, that would be diversity, have someone from the team, that would be diversity too. meet with that individual and have a real conversation, have a real interview with that individual. We love to fast track, we love to move fast there, but you really should focus on just the cultural fit of that person in the organization. So it's beyond the behavioral questions, the technical questions of can you do this job? Yes, they can do this job because we're going to trust the the screening process, the qualifications on the job. Hopefully it was a good JD, right? <laughs> uh, we know all that, that yes, they can technically do the job. But do we want to do the job with this person? Does this person want to do the job with us? We need to make sure we leave an opportunity for them to ask all the questions they need to make an educated and solid decision about us as well. So how I do interviews, it's all about my focus is cultural fit in the organization, organizational fit, the chemistry of, of the of the people. And now again, I'm in HR, so I'm going to be looking uh, for that, you know, but a lot of my questions are going to be more cultural, you know, uh, to ensure that we just really have fit. And it's really less for for us as the organization, and it's more for that candidate, right? So I want to make sure that candidate knows everything. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to show all the dirty laundry, right? I'm going to overshare like I can because I want to make sure they have all the, the, the data points they need to make a great decision. And I want them to, to feel the fit as well because that's really what it's about uh, at that point. So if, if you focus on that in your interviews, right, once you get past the technical questions and the pre-screen and you know this person can do the job they've done it three times in another organization, really, my, my opinion, to get that great fit so that you can get that retention, you can get that, that, that great uh, really puzzle piece that's missing expertise wise on your team. You should focus a lot of the questions on team dynamics and culture and just really that fit, uh, the, that sense of belongingness with, for that person with the organization. Yeah. And I think it's really easy for us as like the hiring team to forget that it's mutual, right? Like we're going out of our way to pick the right person, but like mm -hmm. they're going out of their way to pick the right company too. Absolutely. And you can, you should be reminding them of that. You know, I always love to preface, preface, you know, interviews like, Hey, this is uh, this is really a conversation and a dialogue, right? I mean, this is, please ask questions of me. I'm going to ask questions of you. You know, this is us really figuring out whether we, if we want to work together or not. 
Because at the end of the day, that's really what it is, especially in higher level roles, right? And that's a lot of roles that I'm hiring for. Boy, that's everything for me, right? Like I want to really know about their leadership philosophy. I don't really want to know so much about their analytical skills per se. Like I, I'm going to think that I'm going to think that they already checked that box in school or in previous work experience. I want to hear more about how they interact with the team, how they treat people with dignity and respect or they don't, right? Like so I'm going to get into a lot more of that. And then I want them to be able to ask me the same questions. Well, tell me how your leaders work around here. Right. What's the communication like here? Like, what's it, you know, all the questions, bring them to me. And if you are, you know, listening to this podcast and you're like, well, gosh, I've been in interviews where it felt unsafe to ask those questions or I asked those questions and they wouldn't transparently answer, then thank you. Like, thank, thank goodness that that happened. Right. Because that is probably an indication then to you. Ooh, that's not a fit because you yourself as a candidate are seeking something else that they can't provide you. So it's not worth trying to fit, you know, a square peg in a round hole, right? That That's insightful. People say that to me all the time. Well, there's no way you, at the times I've said that, they shot me down or whatever. I was like, well, great that they did that. They showed their true colors. Do you really want to work for a place like that? And then they're like, oh gosh, good point, right? So right. all of that is information. If they don't answer things, that's information for you. That's a red flag potentially for you. For some people, it may not be. For me, that would be a huge red flag, right? So be thankful for all of the data points and then take that in soak on it right reflect yeah. on it yeah yeah because that's your sign right? that's your sign you know <laughs> listen to them you know gosh yeah. <laughs> try to stop making those red flags green in your mind you know what yeah. i mean just accept them for what they are they're laying them out it's a parade of red flags watch the parade and then walk <laughs> away go home <laughs> yeah unless you just need a job and then i guess ignore all of it <laughs> I know, right? And hey, we've all been there too. You know <laughs> right. what I mean? Like do right. the best you can and pivot out if you have to, if it doesn't work, you know? Yeah, so. for sure. <laughs> awesome. Well, this has been so great and I don't want to take up too much of your time, but before we go, did I hear that you have a new podcast coming out? Tell us more. I do. Yeah. And so actually, uh, you know, a couple content creators and I, there's three of us total, we're kicking off HR Besties. Uh, you can find it on Apple and Spotify. But the whole point of that podcast is that, hey, HR may not be uh, your best friend, but we're not your enemy either, right? So we want to dispel all the myths of the function, try to change the face of HR, try to bring the human back into human resources uh, by sharing all that we know and all the behind the scenes tips and tricks and corporate to help you maximize your professional success. So definitely check it out. HR besties. Yeah, we love that. I can't wait to do you have like a ETA on when that's going to be published? Yeah, so it comes out October uh, next week, October 17th, oh, you know, yeah, great. yeah. So awesome. by the time this goes live, it's already up a few episodes. Definitely go Amazing. check it out. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, Lee, thank you so much for joining us. These thank insights you. have been so great. And yeah, we can't wait to watch your success as you continue. Oh, thanks so much, Erin. Thank you so much for having me. Always love talking HR. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Employee Onboarding Podcast brought to you by Process Street. If this discussion ignited a spark to revolutionize your HR processes, why not give Process Street a shot? It's a no-code platform trusted by thousands of teams around the world, large and small, including powerhouses like Salesforce. Visit www.process.st to sign up for a free trial and embark on a journey to efficient 
powerful workflows. 